This is Geek Gab with your host, John and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, October 13th, 2018. We are halfway through the Halloween season. And, of course, because just because modern television streaming services are so awesome. My nieces and nephews have found brand new and exciting shows to watch on Amazon streaming service, including, and I want you to hold on to the edges of your seats because this is the most scintillating, most exciting show you can possibly conceive of, including an entire half hour where a Canadian dude punches out those spongy pieces, puzzles, and makes an entire Halloween house, a haunted house, with spiders and ghosts. It could not possibly be more exciting. And he does this while wearing white fuzzy gloves and talking about how hard it is to assemble a house in white fuzzy gloves. Scintillating television. Television that, if you change the show and put on like The Nightmare Before Christmas or some haunted Scooby-Doo mystery or something, the kids will be enraged. I'm That's already the kind on of exciting modern Halloween television that we have today. Darnell, how are you? Hey, man, I'm already on the edge of my seat. I can't think of anything spookier than watching a Canadian in a costume. No, you know what? Uh, oh, yeah, that's a good point. There is another one they also like to watch. Making Halloween cupcakes. It isn't, doesn't that just mean orange food dye? I mean, how, how interesting can this be? Green food dye. Um and and then various you know shaped uh, uh, there's a special name for it. It's a specific type of icing that's kind of thick, um, and uh, they cut it up into little shapes and do stuff on it. The one I saw, they were making teenage mutant ninja turtles cupcakes for Halloween. Four and five year olds are raptly watching in fascination as they assemble Halloween cupcakes uh, because apparently that's a thing above four or five year olds now. I, I guess. Uh, I've, I've, I've been watching, I don't want to say adult spooky entertainment, but uh, well, let's say let's say young adult. Uh, in, in Adult has a completely different meaning in, in certain places. So it's yeah. probably best you don't say, <laughs> I've been watching spooky adult entertainment. It's like, no, 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 no. Wait, no. wait, 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 whoa, whoa. Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, et cetera, and worse. Um. I haven't actually got a chance to watch any horror movies this October, and I want to. I desperately want to. Uh, I put up a post on my blog last night about a show called The Dead, uh, which apparently came out in 2010. I saw it for uh, um, Good Bad Flicks, uh, an entire YouTube channel talking about B-movies, and, and a lot of them are horror movies, obviously. Um, but it, these two brothers went to uh, Africa, 
went to deepest, darkest Africa and had a lot of adventures making this zombie movie. And I want to see the zombie movie. I've seen the behind the scenes. I mean, it's crazy. It's absolutely insane. They go to the country. Just it's a Burkina Faso, the country, just to get into the country. They have to bribe a bunch of officials to get their filming gear out of customs. And then every day they're on the shoot. Supposed to go for six weeks, last 12 weeks. Every day they go on the shoot, the police come by and demand a bribe. Every single day. Not for anything, not to provide security. They just demand a bribe. Um, it is, uh, and then people every day keep on trying to steal their truck. So at the end of the day, the truck that is in the movie, it's not a, um, it, it's not used for shifting around gear and stuff. It's actually the truck the main characters are driving. So it's kind of important. You have to have it. Um they sabotage their own truck at night to keep people from stealing it. And then the absolute best thing ever, they're shooting a scene where soldiers are driving along the road killing zombies. So they've got a bunch of villagers that they pay to dress up as zombies. The villagers are making more money on the movie than they would doing anything else. They're paying these villagers to lie on the road as zombies. They're driving by in trucks. And all of a sudden, a couple of hundred soldiers surround them just out of nowhere. And it turns out that like a hundred yards off to the side of this scene of a bunch of foreign soldiers in foreign uniforms of a different country... Um, is, is the presidential palace of Burkina Faso. <laughs> so <laughs> the military of Burkina Faso thought that they were actually staging an invasion of the country. <laughs> <laughs> I, that could have gone very, very badly. Fortunately, it went well, um, and they got their movie out. So uh, that, That's a horror movie I want to see this Halloween. Uh, and there are a couple of others. I have never seen Phantasm. Uh, the tall guy with the floating ball. I've never seen it. I, I kind of want to see it. I want to put it on my list of things to see. I'm hoping I'll be able to get to it uh, this October. Is is there anything that you're looking forward to Halloweenish? Uh, no, uh, I don't do. I'm not a horror guy. I'm not. Uh, I don't do costumes and and spooky things. Ha Halloween mostly passes me by. Uh, it's it's not really my favorite holiday. Hate to oh, be a spooky Um. Okay, so that's the Halloween stuff that's coming up. Um, what was uh, uh, on our list? We had Google Plus is shutting down. What? Yes, it is. And, uh, and there are literally dozens of people who are very, very upset by this. I mean, literally dozens. Um, and as you were saying, some of them are OSR people. Yeah, I was really surprised to find out that, uh, you know, I, I looked at Google Plus when it was announced and I said, oh, this is useless. And then I was surprised to find out that there's a, a thriving little community, you know, a niche community that used it. They said, you know, this is our home. We're going to use it. Uh, I didn't think anybody used it for any particular purpose. And, and I observed, we did this, we were talking in the green room before the show, before we decided to table this discussion. So, cause it, it, he had a provocative theory and, and I want to get into it. Um, I know that from both reading news stories and my personal observation that Google plus was primarily used by, uh, hardcore uh, geeks and role-playing in specific, very, very big on Google+, but also um, computers, uh, IT people, security people, uh, computer security people, so on and so forth. Very, very 
uh, big on Google+. And so for whatever reason, it didn't gain any traction with uh, normies or with the Facebook crowd, but it did gain traction with, um, with that kind of people. And you had a theory about that. Well, you know that you know that Google Plus is a replacement for uh, another another discussion forum for nerds, right? That that was your thesis, yes. Why don't you tell the audience that it was it, it was a replacement for Usenet? Do you guys remember that? Now, here is my response. This is why I wanted to do this on the air. I used Usenet a lot. I started using Usenet um, for one specific news group. I, I didn't use it for anything else, but I used that one specific news group a lot back in like 1994, 1995, when I first got a job at um, Prodigy Internet, the online service Prodigy. I got a job as uh, a tech support representative. Um, and in fact, I can, Prodigy didn't allow you to pick your name. They didn't allow you to pick a person. You had to have some kind of number and they wouldn't even allow you to pick a, an email name that people could refer to you by. Uh, and I remember uh, you got five of them. Mine was AUBB54, and then you got A, B, C, D, and E. Um, but they, right after I joined, right after I started working there, they finally added Usenet access. And so that's when I started uh, frequenting Usenet groups. But Ancient history aside, that was mm, 22, 23 years ago. Ancient history aside, it, I yeah, find people, that curious. I'm not saying you're wrong. I find that curious because it works like completely the opposite of uh, Usenet. Hear me out. Hear me out. The Usenet used to be everybody carried Usenet. You could get pretty much any news group you wanted, no matter what your ISP was. Yes. Then when all the ISPs sort of coalesced and, and Usenet usage sort of dropped and we're all using, you know, we all got, when we all got our fast internet speeds and we started using Google and uh, for everything, Google had all of the news groups and it was folded into its search. Uh, and it was originally called Google Groups. Yes. You could you you could search those groups and you could still interact with all the news groups, and over time they took that all away. They yes. just they, kept, they took away news group after news group after news group, uh, and Google Groups their search became absolutely useless, and then they introduced Google Plus or G Plus. Uh, it was it was not only a competitor to Facebook, which which obviously that was their target, uh, but they were also competing with uh, Usenet, which they had successfully taken over. Basically, they had taken over the the role of how you access Usenet. Uh, I remember for a couple of years there, that's how I did it. I said, oh, I, oh, I need to check out my old vampire uh, jihad news group. I just go to Google Groups. Uh, they took that over. They they rolled in Facebook. They rolled in up Usenet and uh, to an extent web forums. You know they they uh, Reddit of course is the is the big uh, site now. That was it. That was it. So so it was it wasn't just a replacement for Usenet, but it, that was part of what it was for. Like Google deliberately destroyed Usenet because it took it over as the main interface for news groups and then completely uh, destroyed support for it. 
they did the same thing to RSS too. Um, really simple syndication where you could subscribe to a, a website and get all of their updates and stuff in an RSS reader and have a feed of them. So you didn't have to physically remember to check 12 websites or 13 websites or however many you had. Um, you could just use a program. And they used to have a lot of for pay programs that were very competitive. It was very, very uh, active in the blogosphere. Um, that is a bunch of blogs used it extensively. Um, and then Google came out with, I think it was Google Feed, which was a free online RSS reader. And immediately the market for paid RSS readers dried off, uh, dropped off because you can't compete with free. And then um, Google killed Google Feed and RSS died. Well, I, I've got good news for you. There are still free readers. I, I've got uh, a website that I recommend. Actually, I use Feedly. And uh, most blogs and sites that I visit still have RSS feeds. I, uh, I use Feedly uh, as my back end. I've got a couple of commercial RSS readers I bought on iOS and on my Mac OS. And in fact, one of the best RSS readers on the Mac that's a commercial release. It's like 20 bucks. Um, it's coming back. They're releasing a new version of it because usage of RSS has dropped off. A lot of sites still offer it because like on WordPress, it's easy. You just flip a button and you can turn it on. So a lot of sites still offer the functionality, but it's not, it's not popular. There's not a ton of people using it. And so it's kind of a, a ghost town, but hopefully, uh, hopefully we're starting to see some, revival there because it's a very useful technology um so all right we, we've bored everybody enough let's get someone interesting on no but uh, um we can bore them some more i can tell people that uh, an rss feed is a specific type of xml file that you include <laughs> in the core director so no, i'd no. like to thank you guys for having me on this is very <laughs> exciting for me oh no no i have the perfect segue let's let's edit this in post-production um <laughs> yeah, I was just we do post-production around here. We absolutely do. I was just checking my, my RSS feed as an example on Feedly. Uh, I've got the Castalia House blog, and it mentions in the uh, in the new roundup, the, the what do we call it? The new release roundup. We've got let me let me find this uh, line here. The dealer's tale by John Mollison. Uh, so, yeah, so that's my contribution to the latest issue of Story Hack magazine. Uh, the editor there, Bryce, has been kind enough to allow me to grace his pages with uh, a bit of a serial that uh, the, the, the overall title is Last Night at O'Reilly's. And it tells the tale of of a lavish underground nightclub that that gets raided. And it's it's the last night of operation. But the tale itself, it's it's not strictly a serial because what i've done is told the tale of the last night of this club from multiple different viewpoints so those of you that have read story hack issue number two you heard the gambler's tale and the new edition includes the dealer's tale so you see the same events from an entirely different perspective and uh hopefully it continues through and and with each successive iteration you learn a little more about what's really going on behind the scenes 
That's a great idea. I love that. I love that just concept as a setting and also the, the there's a word for that sort of, that sort of story structure. Uh, the pulp archivist probably knows what that word is. Is he in the, I don't have the chat open. Is he in there? We should hit uh, Nathan we just, up. You just got, you got Jeffro in the chat. Jeffro Johnson's hanging out. He was talking about Google plus and OSR. Um, yeah, he tends to do that. They call uh, it the that Rush. sounds like Jeffro. They call it the Rashomon effect. The well, the the first time I hadn't really encountered that was a, an old TV show called Boomtown, which did much the same thing. Every every ish, um, most of the episodes did that, where they would show the crime, and then they'd show from the point of view of the criminals, and then they'd show you from the policeman's perspective. And uh, it was kind of a, a slow burn kind of show really fell off in the second season. But if you have an availability that you can go back and watch the first season of Boomtown, I highly recommend it. Oh, and th that comes to mind. A lot of, uh, a lot of Oscar bait trash in Hollywood uh, sometimes gets structured that way. Like there's a, I think it even won an Oscar um, crash was a terrible, terrible movie, but it had a similar uh, idea. One of those, we've got a bunch of different characters and let's watch them, you know, they, then they, and how their lives interact with each other. But uh, so uh, when are you optioning this film? Uh, it's available right now. Uh, okay. My people are standing by. Just uh, have your people call my people and uh, <laughs> and we can make that happen. Hey, man, we know Nick Cole. We'll, we'll get this thing started. Well, I was really thinking about going more of the uh, Chuck Wendig route. And uh, once I get fired, maybe maybe starting up a comic book. Ah, excellent. Uh, I would just like to say, officially speaking, I'm not at all broken up that Chuck Wendig got fired. <laughs> I, I, I have done a lot of soul searching and I don't care. I'm troubled uh, by it. I'm very concerned. I, I'm concerned that, um, you know, I, I was watching this, the, the, the plummeting stock value of Star Wars tumble, 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 and firing him, they might hire someone competent. And speaking as someone who competes against <laughs> that brand, I don't want them to do that. Wait, well, we've got good news for you. Uh, they rehired Kathleen Kennedy for the for at Lucasfilm. So, as far as the brand goes, I wouldn't worry about that competition. Can, can I tell I, you? You know, I I have been working on a joke that that deals with Kennedy treating basically driving Star Wars off a cliff into the ocean and then walking away. As Star Wars drowns, there's a Kennedy car crash joke in there somewhere, but I haven't oh. quite crafted it yet I, so so watch my twitter feed at not john mollison and, and you'll see oh it's going to be a gem i i got <laughs> to say this because this is so awesome the reason why kathleen kennedy got re-upped for another three years was because they couldn't find anyone in hollywood willing to take her job they I, I don't buy that i don't buy that for a second Anyone who steps into the position is screwed because the baseline expectation is that they will turn it around and Star Wars will become, you know, making start making billion dollar movies again. That's what they expect. That's what Disney expects. But relations with the fans are so terrible that more realistically what you'll have to do is you'll have to invest 
a lot of time and a lot of thought and instead of putting out one star wars movie a year start slowly putting out one every few years to try and get the audience back to build up to that so if you fall short of a billion dollar movie every single year then you failed and your name will be mud in hollywood more importantly Kathleen has filled the studio with her loyalists. I was just about to say that. Yeah. Were promoted. And so if you come on and you become head of the studio, then you have to deal with a bunch of people who will deliberately try to sabotage you because screwing you over is more important than making great movies and more important than making their studio profitable. So it's a no one situation. No one in their right mind would step in after Kathleen Kennedy because you can't get it done. I've seen people on Twitter respond to this. Yeah, as well. I, think, I, I, I think you've got the right idea. Now that I think about it, if I put myself in, in their shoes, of course I would want a chance at Star Wars. However, hypothetically, if they said, John, come in and, and do your best, my response would be, you need to give me carte blanche. You, yeah. I need to be able to fire, I need to be able to fire everybody and I need to be able to literally I need to be able to pretend that the last two movies didn't exist. I, I, including the actors, I need to, I need to be able to tear up all those contracts and fire all the employees that made those movies as bad as they were. And why would Disney agree to that? And that's the problem is you've got a multi-billion dollar industry that cannot change on a dime. And they, the, the production, it, it, it's what a two to three year production process for the next movie. So, they have to anticipate two to three years in the future what's going to be popular. And right now, you're looking at a minimum two years before whatever change you make today actually hits the market. So if they're anticipating that, you know, we need billion dollar, a billion dollar movie every year for the next three years. And oh, by the way, you're saddled with the mistakes of the past. Why would you take that job? But that's what but that's the changing nature of the market. And this is what typically happens with every industry, right? The buggy whip makers are the classic example of people who either learned how to adapt really fast or perished. I, uh, I want to, I want to switch subjects just slightly. Um, this is pure speculation on my part. I have not had any discussion with anyone. I have not had any confirmation. I'm not revealing secret information, but this is my surmise based on, information I've seen in the media. I think that Nick Cole and Jason Onspock are in discussions with Amazon Prime streaming service to get Galaxy's Edge made into an Amazon Prime series. Now, I want to explain that. And, and th this is Star Wars, not Star Wars, is how they describe it. They want it to be close to Star Wars without being Star Wars. So they are preparing themselves to move into that gap that the complete collapse of Star Wars via Kathleen Kennedy we were just discussing. That's why this is topical. But I want to also explain this. They mentioned that they were talking to screenwriters a couple weeks ago. So that's public. And then a few months ago, they mentioned that they were talking with Amazon. Amazon had been very, very happy with the smash success of their Galaxy's Edge series. And they keep on churning out new books and stuff. And uh, they had to delay the release of a book uh, for reasons dealing with scriptwriters. So my guess is that one of the things that Amazon decided they want to do when they had this smash runaway success 
looking at the not smash runaway success of Amazon Prime is to adapt one of their, one of Amazon's, you know, big earners into a series for Amazon streaming. That is just a guess. I have not even talked. I haven't asked anybody if this is true or not. And even if it were true, they couldn't tell me. But, uh, and so if it turns out to be something different, then, you know, you can come back and say you were wrong. That's fine. I'll be, I'll be cool with that. But if it turns out to be correct, uh, I called it right here. Hey, and as we know from Twitter, Warpig is right. That's right. Don't bet against Razorfist. Don't bet against Daddy Warpig. <laughs> if Daddy Warpig and Razorfist ever disagree, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to lock myself in a closet for a few days and just <laughs> just have to, I don't know, maybe maybe join a kibitz and just go on sabbatical for six months to figure <laughs> out what to do with my life. Um. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me, and bear in mind that the the Amazon, you know, their their build up time is considerably shorter than what you're looking at for a theatrical release. They can go from concept to show within the space of twelve months, which is still phenomenal given the amount of logistics involved in getting a a film production up and running and off the ground. They're going to be terrifying once they get some actually good content to produce. They've got a, a character in one of their books. Just one, one of the books that's named the Warpig. They named it after me. I'm not saying that to brag. I just think it's amusing. I, I would think it'd be the funniest thing in the world if they got a series on Amazon and at some point a character named Warpig is on screen hollering at, <laughs> hollering at Leech and Hairstick. Wouldn't that be great? That would be awesome. That would be the coolest thing ever. Particularly if he's a slender, uh, clean-shaven uh, individual who is not at all bombastic. That's what I'm looking for. The soft-spoken war pig. <laughs> exactly. It, it's great. He's a lieutenant who leads a suicide charge against these fortifications on behalf of the Legion. It's a really cool scene. Um, and my my mom, when I told her, I'm like, "Hey, mom, look, I've got a, I've got a." I've got a job. Oh, oh, I think he's a sergeant. I'm sorry. I think he's a sergeant because her comment, my mom's comment to me was, hey, mom, look, in this best-selling Amazon series, uh, I've got a part. They've got a, a, a character named after me. My mom's comment was, they couldn't make you an officer? <laughs> <laughs> so that's your mom's response. It doesn't, <laughs> that is a stereotypical mom response. That's great. All right, so uh, somebody's got a book coming out, right? He does. He's got a book called Barbarian Emperor, where he plays with a lot of the old pulp tropes, where he takes everything he's learned from talking to guys like the aforementioned Jeffro and and Nathan Housley, and uh, the other guy is uh, Alexander, former guest on Geek Gab, the editor for Kursova magazine, and threw it all in a blender and, and watched what came out. The the elevator pitch for Barbarian Emperor is what if in the movie Gladiator, Maximus actually won and didn't get shanked and have to fight as a gimp in the last battle and, and die? What if what if he actually said, you know what? I'm tired of all this Empire stuff. I'm going to go ahead and just climb up there and grab that crown for myself. <laughs> But there's a lot more to it than that. Um, you know, the I, I I have spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to plug in and how to use 
the a lot of people think of it as Morkakian cosmology, but uh, Morkak in his Elric series borrowed heavily from uh, from writers that that trod the same ground before him. Uh, Paul Anderson's name comes to mind, and in fact, he was actually drawing on theories uh, that you know Jordan Peterson fans would be familiar with uh, the Jungian archetypes of law versus chaos. So, you know, I posit a cosmology that draws heavily from the the notion that that the universe is actually a seething, chaotic maw that you can impose your own order upon if you've got the strength of will to do it. And uh, those who are familiar with that particular trope will find it interesting how I how I, I play with it and how as you get further away from the capital of the empire, things get a little more things begin to break down um, until you reach the very limits of of reality. Um, that that theme is also used heavily in Warhammer 40K. So you'd be familiar with that. Um, you know, the, going back again to the editor of Kirsova, he actually is phenomenal at breaking down systems, um, how, how, it, basically nomenclature for things like there's a romance at the heart of this because there's romance at the heart of all the greatest stories. And he actually laid out for me in one of his, just in, just off the top of his cuff, these guys are so great. I love hanging out with these guys. They're so smart. Just off the cuff, he's like, okay, look, you know, in the old pulp stories, here's how these these romantic triangles break down. You know, everybody thinks of the, the evil queen and the, and the good-hearted princess, but you've also got, you know, the kid sister that grows into the romantic interest. And you've also got, you know, the the, the two essentially identical women, but, you know, and, and he, I can't even do it, right? This is why I lean on these guys. So uh, as an author, I'm, I'm absolutely appreciative of forums like Geek Gab. And the 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 relationships that have formed from all of these guys that are that are basically trading on having read this stuff for 30 years and are just swapping ideas back and forth. And I pretty much dump them all into Barbarian Emperor. Um, I, I want to break in for just half a second. Uh, Emmett Fitzhume in the uh, chat says that he thinks that War Pigs uh, would be a great unit name. Um, and I just want to point out in uh, the Terran campaign for StarCraft II, uh, the war pigs are, in point of fact, a mercenary unit you can hire. So they're also one of the better units in, is it Clash of Clans? Don't mess with the war pigs. <laughs> yeah. All right. Again, apologies for the, uh, uh, for the sideline. I just want to drop that into the chat. Um, well, you know what I was thinking about when you were talking about, I love, how did you put that, that that reality is a seething maw of chaos and, and you can impose order on it through strength of will. I love that. Well, and it, it yeah, I mean, it, this, this is, like I said, it's the young archetype for a reason, because you walk into your bedroom and you go, man, this place is disgusting. And then it takes a lot of energy to put it all right back to where it goes and then, and, you know, put everything in its place and a place for everything. And, you know, it, it scales perfectly. It's, it's, and it's, it's such a perfect encapsulation of how reality works that you can see it at uh, operating basically wherever you look. And, and it is a perfect way of organizing the universe, particularly for things like tabletop games. One of the bits of genius that, that Gary Gygax did was to port that hole into 
Dungeons and Dragons in its earliest formation. And we get into a lot of problems with, I mean, we're kind of all over the place, but it's geek gab, right? This is a geeky thing. When you, whenever you start to stray from that concept, whenever you decide, well, the, the dichotomy of law versus chaos and those who either are neutral because they think there should be a balance between the two or they're neutral because they just don't care. Once you start to try to treat that as a personality test, then you start getting into all kinds of difficulties. Yeah, it is when, a way to codify which spells work on which people. It's a way to codify at the end of the day when it comes down to Armageddon, Ragnarok, and there's going to be a, a battle between the forces of chaos and the forces of law. Which side will you be on? And to use it for just general, well, you know, how, what, what kind of person are you? That's dumb. And I didn't think it was dumb because I grew up on that. It wasn't until I spoke with Jeffro and uh, P. Alexander, that I understood the source of that system. Uh, as, as someone who started with second edition and with the, with the eight, um, you know, the two, two axis alignment system, it was just a personality type, right? The, especially since the paladin was always classified lawful good. I mean, that tells you everything you need to know about your paladin, right? You know, right. fights for, for truth, justice, you know, working together as a team, that sort of thing. Uh, consequently, the Paladin is actually the most fun character to play. Indeed. But, well, uh, if he's done right. If he's done right. But but that is, I mean, most people see it as a personality type. Uh, I could picture if the, if the social justice warriors uh, continue to run Wizards of the Coast, and they will because Seattle, they, uh, the alignment system may well be replaced by the Myers-Briggs type. By the end of you know, by the end of uh, the, this quarter century, right? Doesn't that just sound scintillating? Well, I mean, hey, I'm an, for I'm that change. An, I am an INFP tiefling female. Uh, hold no, sorry, I, I had that wrong. Uh, a fief, a tiefling trans female. It's just, it just when you say that, I'm FENPT. Doesn't that just arouse just? a visceral feeling of emotion in, in, in your gut that you just can't wait to oh, come on, give me a break. <laughs> I'm fighting against the forces of chaos here. I fully favor. I actually think that one of the worst mistakes Gygax made was to include female and, and infant kobolds in caves of chaos, because at that point you stop treating these creatures uh, and the way I've always used the, the 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 monstrous races is that they are physical manifestations of chaos they are tumors in the in, in civilization that if you don't fight them with the white blood cells of the adventuring party then they will slowly take over and they will destroy all of civilization it's a it's a civilization versus barbarianism process that you have here and when you just treat kobolds or orcs as just another race then you start and then you start introducing all kinds of concepts that would be much better off dealt with with a more grounded reality you know when, when you say okay well uh i'm going to introduce uh, uh half orcs so that they have to deal with the fact that they have one foot in each camp well, that's fine, but you can also do that with, you know, a, a, a human culture that has one foot in, in each camp. Why don't you just use, and that's one of the things that happens in Barbarian Emperor, is that my barbarian has to 
has to leave the chaos camp and come over and understand that if you really want to impose your order on the empire that you're facing, then you have to adopt and you have to fight for order. So you do have to choose between those two things and you can draw elements from both. But, you know, I just so much of what I see happening in the role playing game community today is people watering things down to make them safe. And then it sucks all the life out of it. it. They suck all of the drama out and they say, well, we want to play with the idea of, 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 of half work, but not half work. Cause there's so much weight behind it. So I'm just going to reskin my half work as a tiefling. Oh, right. Cause now you have one foot in law and one foot in chaos. And all you've done is change the costume. So you, you haven't really changed anything. You've just, you just put lipstick on it and called it, called it something else. And, and it just, it just drains all the drama out. And that's part of, you know, you can have a safe space or you can have an adventure, but you can't have both. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of things at play there. Uh, most people treat those games as uh, your Saturday morning cartoon or your weekly episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer where, um, you know, everybody's got their, it's a superhero thing. They've, they've all got their heroes and, and the monsters are just the foe of the week, that sort of thing. Um, another thing at play is, is, I mean, even when we were kids, growing up on this stuff. Yeah, everybody loves dwarves and elves and, and things. Um, watch out for the people who like dark elves. You got to watch those closely. Uh, but uh, in all seriousness, even when we were kids, we saw that it was like Star Trek. It was just like a human with a rubber prosthetic, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, there's nothing dwarf-like about dwarves. They're just uh, short, uh, money-loving humans. Exactly. And the, um, and, and the problem, and, and uh, I've thrown that challenge out into the Twitterverse from time to time where I say, look, I, what I want you to do is explain what makes your elves different from humans, right? And, and, and the two rules are you can't tell me how they dress. How are they different? And people really struggle with it. Here's the, um, here's the thing. And I hope I don't take too long doing this, but it's, uh, it's a proof yeah. of concept. You got 20 um, minutes, go. The comment I've heard from someone at one point was, well, I think that aliens would always have to be completely inscrutable and we would have no commonality with humans. So I want to preface this by saying this was in a context of science fiction that I uh, created this proof and that, uh, but it still applies to fantasy. And I want to take it back to very quickly the laws of thermodynamics, which say that, Entropy always increases. Sooner or later, everything breaks down, falls apart, or fades away. So you're an alien. What do you have to do? Well, you have to get energy to survive because energy dissipates and you need more energy. It goes from higher order useful forms to less useful forms. So what are aliens going to have in common with humans? They have to eat. They have to feed. They know what it's like to be hungry, to be short on energy. They know what it's like to be sluggish because you have low energy. Uh, what else? Well, uh, there are accidents, breaks, bruises, uh, damage to your body. Whatever form your body takes, it can be, will be disordered because the physical laws of the universe demand that it be so. Therefore, aliens will know what it means to be crippled permanently, to be uh, not be able to walk or fly or whatever it is they do. They know what accidents are. They know what being safe is. They know what being risky is. 
they have those things in common with humanity. Well, what else is going to happen? Well, they have to eat something or consume something in order to get energy. And sometimes that's not going to be as good for them as, as they would like. So they know what spoiled food is. They know what bad food is. They know what food poisoning is or an analog of it. And once you look at the physical laws of the universe, and I've done this in dozens of different cases. That's just a few of the examples. Um, here's another one. Uh, randomness exists therefore between parents and progeny there's always going to be some kind of difference therefore between two different people who grow up at the same time there's going to be some kind of difference so in alien races they will know what it's like to have someone who's faster than you are who's smarter than you are who's stronger than you are whatever the local equivalents are they will know what it's like to feel envy they will know what it's like to feel inferior they will know what it's like to feel superior they will know what it's like to feel prideful even if it's just an intellectual thing you know that you're better at somebody else than this because individual species cannot be the same the laws of uh, physics demand it so sooner or later if you look at enough consequences of the physical laws in the universe, you will realize that any alien species, no matter what their form, will have, um, you know, let's say 99%, 98% psychological, uh, enough psychological commonality with humans that they can understand our experiences and we can understand their experiences uh, by uh, analogy. Uh, even if we say, okay, well, we don't know what it's like to eat starshine, but we know what it's like to be hungry. We know what it's like to have food that tastes bad, but you can still eat it. We know what it's like to get sick from food, whatever. We can uh, empathize across the alien barriers. So in point of fact, everyone who says that aliens have to be completely mentally uh, unlike human beings are wrong. Now, let's say any one of those points, they say, well, I can come up with an alien race that, that doesn't fall into that. And I'll say, okay, so that's one alien race in a million. And then now with the second point, so, okay, so that's one alien race and one million squared. And now the third point, okay, it's almost impossible to construct an alien race that has absolutely no commonality with humans. So let's take it back to elves. Um, when you say, what's the difference between elves and humans? My response is even if elves were, let's say, genetically different from humans in that they had uh, you know, a number of chromosomes or something were completely different. Um, they have natural features that humans don't have. They're psychologically speaking, because of their very nature, because of their physical nature, uh, they're going to be to share substantial commonalities with humans. Now that's a conversation killer. Was there was there a question? No, I was I was responding to his statement. It's an answer they, to his question. That's that's all well and good, but what if they have no soul? Uh, that's that's a great question, actually, um, in the sense that uh, elves elves are human-ish, as you know, as presented in Lord of the Rings and whatnot, and they don't have souls. My soul well, really is really weak, but let's be fair; it's a bit of a cheat. Uh, Daddy Warpig's point is is well taken. That when you look at when you look at things from a purely physical and 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 physics standpoint i can't argue with anything you just said uh but when once you start introducing the metaphysical and the supernatural then things get a little more complicated and that's honestly the answer that i look for more often than not is well what distinguishes my you know orcs from humans is that my orcs are actually the embodiment of chaos 
And a lot of people don't like that because they think it means, oh, well, you just are looking for a way to make it safe to kill them without having any real moral quandary. quandary. And my answer is, well, yeah, it's a game about killing things. I need something to kill that I don't want moral quandaries. Now, I can call them zombies if I want. You know, the zombies are the modern day equivalent of the orc. They're, they're just walking chaos that wants to destroy civilization. And they're used in much the same way in a lot of different intellectual properties. Um, I, I will say this. Much lower. The, one of the difficulties that, that our culture has right now is that we've, we've lost a lot of our capacity for nuance. And, and you know, to, to, this is my way of apologizing and walking back and, and agreeing with Daddy Warpig that, that you're right. There's... Um, one of the the arguments that gets back and forth in the comic book world is, well, you should keep politics out of my comic books. Well, politics have always been part of comic books. Yeah, but your politics. Well, hold on now. Let's stop. Let's understand that politics in stories are a tool and the proper there's a proper time and use for every tool. And the proper time is not always and the proper use is not, you know, everything. You have to treat this stuff carefully. And when we talk about, well, what are your elves like? Well, there's a lot of different ways to handle elves. And what I'm chiefly interested in is, have you thought about how you use them? Are you just using them as, well, I don't want to call these French people French people, so I'm just going to call them elves. Why not just call them French people or, you know, a French analog at that point? Uh, on the other hand, if you've got a, a race of soulless, timeless, beautiful individuals who are, are in tune with nature... Well, OK, that's, you know, that kind of meets the criteria for elves. And if you just want, you know, something, you know, if you just want to be lazy and just tell people it's an elf. Well, OK, we all know what an elf is these days. And maybe you have to break it down. Well, is it a Tolkien elf or is it a Paul Anderson elf or is it a D&D elf? Then, OK, great. We've got our nomenclature in place. But at, at least it tells me that you've thought about what the purpose of the elves are and how they fit into the greater scheme of things i mean i included elves in in barbarian emperor but they're not they they owe a lot more to the i mean technically you could probably think of them as reskin to orcs it, it, it's a little complicated i'm not going to go too deep into it because i want you to buy the book to be on, honest with you and also because the context in which they're used plays a huge role in who they are and what they do within the context of the story um and uh, I will say this, as per usual on the show, uh, links to Barbarian Emperor, a link to the Barbarian Emperor on Amazon is in the description of the video uh, and a description underneath the video. And you can pre-order that on Amazon right now for delivery in five days or six days. Thank you for that. Um, so there you go. Daddy Warpig's right again. <laughs> well, Just like I told you. Here's the thing. Um and this is what I keep on thinking about with in respect to law, neutrality, chaos, in order for that to make sense, to adapt, say, the Paul Anderson idea for D&D. &D. I'm specifically talking about as a role playing game, not necessarily in your novel. You have to make it cosmologically uh, clear that that's what you're doing, that there is a constant tension, a constant strife between the forces of uh, magic and the forces of uh, humanity. And so that has to be implicit in the campaign gazetteer, 
for what lack of a better word when you say okay x and such a town is here 10 miles away is where you know magical creatures are and sometimes they've expanded and sometimes they've fallen back but the danger is growing now and that has to be carried out through the rest of the game not because it's a bad idea but because if it is a war between the magical races not out of uh, political considerations are hatred, but because their intrinsic natures are irrevocably opposed, that is, they cannot coexist naturally because they are so divergent from each other, that needs to be clear and it needs to be carried through so that uh, everybody understands it. Uh, everybody who picks up the book and wants to run the game understands it. I'm not saying that the current personality test D and D alignment is better. I, I hate it. I, I think it's abhorrent. I think uh, uh, long, I have long thought that um, something akin to basic D and D's lawful, neutral, chaotic, or um, something that would be another idea. I'm just tossing this out. I made this up right now. Good, evil, and chaotic not as a, on a continuum from A to B, but that's a three-pronged axis uh, where you can be good, that is, you're supporting mankind and humanity, you're a decent person, or evil, that is, you're consorting with fell demonic forces, or uh, chaotic, that is, you are aligned towards uh, magic and non-human creatures and stuff. Um, I think that would be a better way to implement the cosmological notions undergirding that than uh, the three by three grid. I understand why they made the three by three grid because it makes the outer planes possible. It makes the outer planes comprehensible and that's a key part of the cosmology. But once you've done that, the way it gets implemented back into the game system uh, is a very unclear and very confusing manner that has keeps on getting revised because nobody's gone back to the original material and gets it set out straight. Well, and let's be honest here, nobody, I say the average player, I'd even say most players, don't think about it, nor do they care. And why should they? It's it's not really important to the game. It may be important to the game master. It may be important to the author of the world and the rules and the settings, but who cares? I think it's important because it sets up exactly in the caves of chaos, uh, why the caves are chaos there, why they're danger. It undergirds what's going on in the campaign. Even if you don't have a big bad who's assembling an army to take over the world, that whole process of moving from an adventurer to a, uh, a settler, it, and here I'm just you know, aping or parroting uh, Jeffro, is pushing back the borders of chaos. You're establishing uh, new demosnes. You're establishing order for humanity. And it under... It, Every time you go into a module and you see orcs, they're not just orcs who are these evil humanoids who, you know, rampage and pillage. They're not just uh, fantasy Mongols. They are people who carry with them unearthly forces, are avatar, uh, advanced forces of unearthly beings. And if they advance and grow stronger and stronger, pretty soon other things that are unearthly and even more powerful start to show up. And it would, uh, game masters could incorporate that in adventure design. They could incorporate that in um, 
you know, country design and world design. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of fertile ground there that went untrod because they went in a different direction. Uh, speaking of a different direction, uh, a thought occurred to me about that, the large, the two axis alignment system, uh, and that it's also necessary in today's modern culture. In this culture, it is seen as permissible to be chaotic. Chaotic is not seen as evil. It's okay to, you're, you can be good as well as chaotic. When, um, to go out on a limb here, I would uh, say, and, and in, these, in these sorts of games, when you're talking about chaos as a personality type, it means that that person is uh, strongly individualistic. They, they care about individual liberty and, and individual um, uh, self-determination. And in modern days, that's not seen as evil where in a, in a different time or a different culture. Uh, and some may argue that, that it, it is evil, that, that moderns, uh, culture where, modern culture where we are obsessed with the individual uh, such that we break apart large groups, that that is evil. But reflecting our, our current uh, very individualistic culture, uh, chaos is not evil. And that's the, in, that what, that, in that sense, the dual axis alignment system was necessary because it reflects the way we understand the world right now. You, you have to be careful how, if you really want to drill down deep, you have to be careful how you're using these terms because the, the part of what happens is that there's a natural tension between, you know, chaos as, as change and chaos as disorder and change and disorder are not, synonyms even though the word chaos can be used for both you can't have growth without change and and growth can be positive or negative and and that's where this starts to break down so when you sit down at the tabletop that's why that's why it's important to understand that every time you sit down to play a tabletop game you're actually playing two different games there's there's the rules as they are written and that's where the law and chaos came in. It says, well, this spell protects against people who fight on the side of chaos, and this spell protects against people who fight on the side of law. And so it has real specific concrete meanings within the concept of the rules as written. But there's always that secondary game that's being played about looking for exceptions and, and the interpersonal game that you play with people where we're, you're actually all in negotiations for... How are we going to arbitrate that fundamental process that Daddy Warpig outlined so eloquently a few weeks ago, where it's the, the DM sets up a situation and the PCs respond to that stimulus. And there's different ways to respond. And one is by cracking open a rule book and saying, well, no, no, no. Look right here on page 43. Uh, it says here that this spell only lasts for, you know, whatever. But the other way to do it is to, to, to set the rules aside and say, hey, we're trying to jump across a canyon. Can we do it? And there's a tension between that as well that needs to be introduced and discussed. And, I, you know, we don't have time to get into all of that right now. But that's that's one of the things where we circle back around to my point that we've lost a lot of our nuance and we've lost a lot of our our awareness of what we're doing at any given moment. 
And if you just sit down and spend a little more time thinking about the ramifications of whichever side you come down on, whether it's, well, I like to play the rules specifically as written or the kind of relationship game, then, you know, you, you can come out with different results, but at least be aware of what you're doing and don't try to pretend that you're doing one when you're really doing the other. Um, Here's, um, that gets back to the verisimilitude is far more powerful than reality. Uh, here's the here's the point about Paul Anderson law versus chaos. Chaos and Paul Anderson in the world, and is it three hearts and three lions? Um, yes. Okay. In three hearts and three lions, which I have read a couple years ago, and it was actually very influential in some parts of the Big Secret Project. Um, three hearts and three lions. Chaos had nothing to do with individualism, and it had nothing to do with following human laws or breaking human laws. Because you could be a thief who steals from uh, everyone around you and still be basically on the side of humanity. Um, you might not be a good person. You could be a vile person, but you weren't aiding the advancement of unearthly, inhuman, uh, intrinsically alien and I don't mean that in the science fiction sense. I mean that in the sense of being separate or distinct from humanity. There is, and let's just say for the example of a, of a fake cosmology, uh, magic. Magic is entwined in the very being of these creatures, the very bodies of these creatures. If magic were completely taken away, they would die because they can't exist without it. And because of that... Um, you know, they're, they're not human. They'll never be human. They'll never be a, a natural species like humans and dogs and cows. Um, but there is something that marks them apart. And the fact that they have this magic woven into the core of their being means that where more and more of them live, more and more magical things will happen, which are inimical to human interests. It makes it hard to farm, makes it hard to grow crops, makes it hard to raise kids. Um, the elves come in and steal your babies at night and replace them with changelings. Um, your milk gets soured because of mischievous uh, creatures, mischievous fae. Um, whatever is happening that makes it hard to be human and hard to live in close proximity with magical creatures means that they can't ever work together, they can't ever lie together, and even if individuals on either side can work together, ultimately um, they're intrinsically opposed to each other by their very natures. In that case, whether or not you break laws or follow laws is irrelevant. Whether or not you follow tradition or you know, rebel against tradition. Rebellion against human traditions and laws is irrelevant to this Polian concept of chaos. And so that's that's my point is that if that's the concept you want to build your game on, that has to be clear. You have to write that explicitly into the core of the system and orient your alignment, whatever it is, explicitly around that and say, are you a human being who is thrown in your lot with the goblins, with the termagants, with the witches, with the hags, with the men eating sirens, with the harpies, with all of these unnatural creatures, with the gorgons, with the medusae, all of these unnatural creatures, or do you support, do you live among, are you part of healthy, normal human society? And that could be an interesting world to build, 
but that was not the world that D&D actually ended up creating. And if you're going to have a Polian uh, concept of chaos, it needs to be more deeply embedded into the world. And, and the flip side of that is, if you're going to throw out that concept, then you really need to throw it out of the rules as well, because you need to have... The, the marriage of the rules and the setting is far more critical than people tend to give give any credence to. Everybody says, well, you can do whatever you want with Dungeons and Dragons. And the answer is, well, yes, you can. But, you know, whatever you want might mean some pretty significant wholesale changes in the way the rules operate. You may need to sit down and and throw out, you know, whole pages of the spell lists because they don't reflect the reality of the world that you've designed. I, and I think if you look edition over edition, that's precisely what they've done. They, they chose a direction and they, they changed the game to suit that direction. Correct. More hey, I, got, I, I got a question for you. This is from the chat, Jeff R. Johnson, and for that matter, myself. Uh, I only read Dead Tree versions of books. Will Barbarian Gladiator be available in hard copy? Absolutely. Love it. Absolutely. Get, you got to give me a week or two to, to get it all polished up, but uh, as soon as possible, I'm going to get that out in Dead Tree. In fact, I think all of my works are available in Dead Tree. Uh, oh, no, you know what? I'm still waiting for my proofreader to finish reading Sudden Danger. Once I get that back, then that'll get out to, uh, to hard copy as well. Awesome. Uh, where do you um, who do you publish with? Is it just uh, Amazon Independent Publishing? Just Amazon. Okay. Uh, most of my books are available on Kindle Unlimited for the time being as well. Yeah, I, I read the the Five Dragons. I've got that on my phone right now. Okay. Um. All right. So, is there anything else about Barbarian Empire Emperor you want to talk about? No, we covered it all. I guess if we if we have a minute, I'd also like to throw out a plug for the audiobooks that I record. I'm a regular in the stable for Castalia House, and I'm currently reading the uh, War Dogs Incorporated uh, series. I've got the first one in the can, and the second one should be done. I'm about halfway done with it. Uh, you can look for those coming out in the next couple of months. Um, and uh, you know, I've got a list if you hop on Amazon and, and do a search for my name. Uh, I've done a couple of John C. Wright books, a couple of uh, short story collections for them. So give those a listen on your commute. You won't regret it. All right. Um, any last words, uh, John? Yeah, man. John? Thanks for coming on. It was great to have you. Uh, it was a good good show. Thanks for having me. I really like these deep dive conversations. It's uh, it's really helped me grow as an author and as a gamer. And I, listening to Geek Gab has, you know, it's just made me a better person and better looking and all around just uh more pleasant to be around so i highly recommend it to everyone if you're not already listening to geek gab catch it on the replay you won't regret it appreciate it and thanks to everybody in the chat who joined us on a discussion about a book that turned into a discussion of law and chaos um i appreciate all your kind words uh john and uh, i want to say thanks to all the people who uh uh, from back way back to the beginning, all the people who uh, have come on the show and uh, contributed their voices and their thoughts and their ideas to uh, to the discussion here. Uh, we've had some big names on the show, but uh, even better are all the 
up-and-coming authors on the show who uh, very much appreciated all of you guys. And I'm not going to start naming names because, uh, frankly, I'd forget somebody that I'd want to otherwise remember, and I don't, I don't want to leave anybody out. But all you up-and-comers who have come on the show and uh, uh, contributed to the discussion, brought up interesting topics, had great discussions, we appreciate all of you. And, of course, we appreciate the audience who listen to this show, uh, available on SoundCloud.com. Uh, the iTunes store and the Google Play store. Just do a search for Geek Gab. And I especially want to thank all the people who come and listen to the show live, join in in the discussion um, that you can see if you go back and replay the video later at youtube.com slash geekgab. If you do get here uh, when it's live, of course, you can join the discussion and make a, your own contribution that will be immortalized until the second that YouTube kicks us off the channel. Um, and... Uh, by the way, if you click subscribe and then click the little bell icon, you will get an announcement from YouTube as to when we do go live so that you'll have a chance to uh, drop whatever you're doing and come in and join in uh, to, to the show. Uh, and so I'd like to thank everyone who uh, listened to the show, everyone who's contributed to the show, everyone who's uh, been part of our guest list over the last several years. Uh, we are leaving you for today. But don't you worry, don't you fret, we will be back.